BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. It's Friday, January 10th, 2020, as I speak. But, of course, it's a podcast, so who knows when you're listening to this. It could be the year 2525, as I like to say, uh, one of Dennis's favorite songs. As we always do uh, on the bonus segment of the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So, distinguished guest... Introduce yourself. I'm Mark Brown, columnist with the Chicago Sun-Times. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's correct. Thank you, Robert Mueller. The Mark Brown in the studio. Mark Brown may be one of the few people in the city of Chicago, even remotely as old as I am. Uh, so he remembers a few things. He's been covering, how long have you been writing for the my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times? 82. 82. Good God. 1982 is the year after I moved to Chicago. Oh, 1982. I was like, 82 years? I'm just kidding. No, he's not that old. <laughs> Come on, man. Was- I actually was the intern for the Sun-Times in 1978 in Springfield, but it would be stretching it, too. No, say it. Yeah, you're stretching his resume. Yeah, I go, yeah, I go, so I go back. I go back to a time before Mike Madigan was Speaker of the Illinois House. For 10 trivia points, who was the Speaker of the Illinois House before Michael Joseph Madigan? Bill Redmond. Very good. <laughs> what a geek. <laughs> Wait a minute now. Uh, wasn't, okay, I'm doing this t- totally off the top of my head. It was a guy named Charles Wheeler, as my memory serves correct. Was the Sun-Times uh, Springfield correspondent? Do I have that right? Well, actually, we had uh, we had like a, a, a couple of guys. We uh, the, the, the bureau chief was really a guy named uh, G. Robert Hillman. Mm. And then the number two guy uh, was Charlie Wheeler. And... Uh, the year that I started with the Sun-Times, or the year that I was the intern was the year the Daily News folded, and we even had Bob Sector move over from the Daily News uh, and join our bureau very briefly before he got sick of us and went to join the L.A. Uh, Times. So how did you get that gig? Were you just a college kid at those days? Yeah, well, yes, it was an internship. Uh, I, I went to uh, what in those days was called Sangamon State, uh, to, now it's the University of Illinois Springfield. There's a program called the Public Affairs Reporting Program, and uh, you, you get an internship in what then was a, the flourishing Springfield bureaus of numerous news organizations. Now the the program uh, you know has having a lot of difficulties because nobody has full time reporters in Springfield anymore, and so nobody to. To teach the kids the ropes. No, uh, I don't know. You were on the show before. I don't know if I did this. So uh, uh, we a little bit of biographical stuff. Uh, 
you've been covering, you've been working for the Sun Times, as you said, since 1982. So you've been around Chicago a long time, but you are not a native of Chicago. I'm not. I'm a hillbilly. You're, okay. <laughs> I'm a I'm a hick from uh, Washington, Illinois. Washington, right? Put that R in there. Uh, 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 and uh, it's a little town outside Peoria. Now. So did you grow up as a Republican or a Democrat, or had or you had no politics? Uh, you know, my, I think my parents were Democrats. Um, uh, my father became more conservative in his uh, older age, but uh, you know, we were Kennedy Democrats, I'd say, and uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's. Uh, it's I, I think at one point my my father probably supported George Wallace, so I, I got to overcome that. But you know. Is that right? He was a good man, but 60, my father was. Yeah, yeah. not Wallace, uh, let's clarify. Uh, in 68 or 72, do you remember? I don't remember. I don't remember. So were there t- uh, political tabletop conversations at dinner time? Was that the kind of family you had? Or did you, it was just not a, a lot. Not a lot, no. No. No, most of my politics would be, you know, just... I think my dad might have worked for Kennedy a little bit. You know, he was uh, he was a railroad guy. Uh, I grew up in a railroad family, um, and but you know that 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 assassination thing took a lot of people out of out of that stuff. And then uh, you know then uh, Nixon and all uh, uh, you know people got disaffected. So what drove your interest in the politics? What motivated you to want to have a career covering politics? Well, I just, I, 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 uh, I, I have an interest. I have, uh, I, I, you know, I think I have a sense of it. You know, I always, I, I'm just a longtime newspaper reader, right? You, you pick up things. And uh, when I was, uh, I went to Northern Illinois University and, uh, Got involved in covering some politics there, and um, it seemed like a good path for me. Uh, you know, it, it was after the point where I, I realized that I, I shouldn't be a sports writer my whole life, right? You started as a sports writer? I didn't know this. Uh, sure, D- didn't you? We all did back back in the day. It seemed like you know. Uh, I never. I did not start as a sports writer. Uh, I'm obsessed with sports. Have been obsessed with sports my entire life, Mark Brown. Uh, and then even before politics. No, they were roughly at the same time. I got the obsession with politics. I get the obsession with sports, and so they were ter- sort of intertwined. One affects the other. Because back when I was a kid, there was a lot. Sports was very political, at least for someone like me. Uh, sports was very political. Uh, but no, I never... I, the, the, the few times I wrote about athletes, I found them so obnoxious. Uh, I did a story about Tony Kukoc, who used to play for the Chicago Bulls. He was one of the most obnoxious people I ever met. And just, it's just <laughs> utter indifference to me, bordering on hostility. Really passive-aggressive behavior, Mark. So I just said, no, I, I actually feel bad. We have Joe Colley on the show uh, from time to time. He's the Bulls beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. I think he does an excellent job. And I feel bad for sports writers who have to like squeeze some information out of, out of the athletes they cover who are completely indifferent to them on the point of hostility. So, um, no, I've yeah, never... I, I See, I started as a, as a sports writer when I was 14 for my local newspaper. So I, by the time I got to college, I'd already been doing it quite a while. And so, and someone prevailed upon me that it was, there were more serious things <laughs> a person could do with their life. 
then followed around the jacks and you know i, I i'm glad they i'm glad they made that uh, clear to me well there's nothing more serious in this town than covering the chicago bears that's the most serious and important well, thing in true. the world i mean each newspaper dedicates i don't know how countless pages uh to the chicago bears why they do that i do not know i'm just speaking to the people who run the newspapers the bears are terrible all right they don't warrant the coverage all right let's get back to political discussions you wrote a column uh that ran at the end of the year and uh the, all this is sort of uh, acts as a, a lead up or introduction to it uh, you, you wrote it off, you dismiss this as something you just did at the end of the year filler, but I thought it was uh, it was a pretty interesting, just a headline alone, from Blago to Fast Eddie to Ed Burke. Uh, it, it was like a, a rogues gallery, uh, political wheelers and dealers in uh, the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois. Mark, uh, I've watched all, all of these three in action. Blago, Burke, Verdoliak, the power they yield, the, how far they got. Uh, it's really extraordinary, I think, in some way, that the voters elected uh, these three. Um, I don't think any of them d- did anything to warrant the support and power uh, that they garnished down through the years, is my opinion. Uh, but let's break it down a little bit. Uh, let's take them one by one. Talk a little bit about Fast Eddie Verdoyak, the Alderman of the 10th Ward, uh, who was at full power when in 1982 uh, he, when you were a rookie reporter here at the Sun-Times. Well, I always say, I, I always thought uh, Verdoliak was the most charismatic political figure I've ever seen in this town. I mean, he was like, it was like having Sinatra uh, at City Hall. And, uh, you know, he had, he had his own rat pack and, uh, you know, he was... Uh, if if Wash, Harold Washington hadn't come along, God only knows where you know where he was headed. Uh, but uh, he, you know, he was fast Eddie because he always had had cooking up deals. I, you know, it's funny we, we, we you know you and I talk about him now. Uh, people, I'm sure uh, half the people don't know what we're talking about. But this guy was something. He just. He, people followed him. He was a great leader, uh, and he knew the political game. He also, he just, he, he didn't have an, a, a, a real ethical base, you know? And he was in it to make money, and, and uh, there was never any bones about that. Uh, and he's made a lot of money. Uh, but, he, but he skated all those years until finally in the... Uh, uh, Blagojevich scandal. He sort of got sideways dinged because of his association with Stu Levine, who was, you know, another crook who had insinuated himself into the Blagojevich world and had done enough crooked deals through the years that, uh, you know, uh, in, in his effort to get the feds to go easy on him was able to spread the pain in uh, in Eddie's direction over kind of a very obscure uh, real estate deal uh, up on the north side there so uh, you know I, I've got a in my in my home in my den I have this huge photo of Eddie Verdoliak and with uh, uh, 
some of his uh, Howie Carroll and Sam Paniatovich and all this. It's a photo that uh, uh, one of our guys took many years ago, and uh, I, I just I I just I would. It's almost like I idolize the guy. I don't. It's like the opposite. But I'm so fascinated by him. He was cool, wasn't he? <laughs> Well, okay. All right. You're thinking it differently. I I look at it differently with Eddie. I know exactly what you're saying. And I remember doing a story in 84 when he challenged, good God, the stuff I know, uh, when John Stroger... Okay, let me back up uh, for our millennial listeners. Eddie Verdolak was uh, an alderman for the 10th Ward in the far southeast side of the city of Chicago. He was also the chairman of the Democratic Party. Uh, he became chairman uh, as he led an insurrection against George Dunn. This is about roughly the time, Mark Brown, that you moved to the city of Chicago and became a reporter, a cub reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. And at that meeting, follow me in this, Mark, at that meeting, I'm doing this all from memory, Niall Sherman, who's the committee man, the Democratic committee from the 21st Ward, got up and said, uh, everybody in the Democratic Party, black and white together for Eddie Verdoliak, he's going to lead us to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You remember that? I, I yeah, the quote. Exactly. And it was like, what terrible <laughs> quote. <laughs> That's not the kind of thing you want to accentuate. But you're right. He had that hold. And they all believed in him because he was so smooth, so slick. He dressed really well. His hair was perfect. He, you're right. He moved fast. It was like rat-a-tat-tat-tat, like Frank Sinatra. And I remember when uh, uh, his fatal mistake, Mark, in my humble opinion, was instead of uh, accommodating the voters who elected Harold Washington in the Democratic primary to be their nominee, he resisted Harold. Uh, and he became Harold's foil, and he led the uprising in the city council known as uh, Council Wars. He led the 29, and instead of being a hero to Chicago, you know, all black Chicago and white Chicago, liberal Chicago, conservative Chicago, he became uh, a hero to one element of Chicago and uh, the enemy to the other, and so my point is that he threw it all away. He made a, like a bad bet. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I always say that I never thought he made, yes. I, uh, yes, that was probably a tactical mistake, but I think that, that what killed him was when then he decided to become a Republican. <laughs> Double and then down. That's what, yeah. then, he, then he had no credibility left. Because, you know, I think he thought that he believed in himself a little bit too much. I think he thought that he could make the people move over to the Republican Party, but they didn't. And so he's left over there like, you know, like a schmuck, really, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. he, he, and so then he, you know, he just moved into the background and was still manipulating all, you know, everything from who got to be judges in this town to probably what those d- judges were deciding. Uh, you know, uh, the reason he's in trouble here is that he somehow insinuated himself into the uh, the, the giant uh, tobacco settlement mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, uh, the, the cigarette manufacturers, you know, ponied up these huge sums of money to governments to make all the lawsuits go away. And somehow he got a piece of the settlement, even though he did nothing. 
which but you know he did something he somehow he 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 fixed something we just don't even know what it is to this day right uh so but but in the course of that he well whatever but uh fascinating guy uh and you know he went he'd gone all that time without getting jammed and here he's now he's been jammed twice in 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 the decade here yeah so and uh he's largely forgotten it. you're right uh you know, uh, Harold Washington has a library named after him. Uh, Harold Washington has a city college named after him. Uh, Richard Daly, Richard J. Daly has a city college uh, named after him. Jane Byrne, the former mayor, has a portion of an expressway uh, named after him. Eddie Verdoyak, despite being larger than life for several years and being a very powerful person, and hasn't... Now, nothing will ever be named after Eddie Verdoliak. No, the law firm. The law that firm. Is- <laughs> and, and I hear their ads every day on the radio. And, uh, you know, right. they must still be making a lot of good money. His son's Because there's, right there's still a lot of people in this town that go, oh, yeah, I'm going to hire the Verdoliak law firm because they can fix it for me. So, Chicago, that mentality. You're absolutely correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, hire it. It's, I don't even think he has any. His kids run the law firm now, I think. Uh, but, yeah, right. The, the, I sit corrected. His law firm is named for him. No public buildings, but his law firm is named for him. And it's probably more profitable having a law firm named for you, Mark Brown, than having a public building uh, named you. That's Fast Eddie Verdoyak. Uh, the other name on this list, of course, is Blago. Everybody knows Blago. Rod Blagojevich, our former governor is now sitting in a federal penitentiary uh, in Colorado for his various crimes. What's your sense of uh, Blago's legacy? His legacy? Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm no fan. I I, uh, I think he's where he belongs. Uh, you know, if uh, if I were the judge, he wouldn't have to be there, stay there quite as long as. He's going to have to stay there unless Trump uh, comes through with the pardon, uh, which I don't discount still that that's a possibility. You know, the longer he stays, the the less I worry about that one way or the other. You know, what I don't like is when Trump tries to pretend that he didn't do anything wrong, because I believe he did. I you know I don't know where you are on that, but you know the guy, he was. Uh, I mean, he actually came up in the in the uh, Verdoliac world, strangely enough. He did. Uh, he's from that from that town. I mean, for that that part of the town. And uh, you know, he's, he's just another amoral guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, you know, there were some things he did that were probably good as governor. I, I you know, I think they all do s- some good things. George Ryan did some good things. Uh, but I, I, I thought that the prosecution of him was uh, on the mark. Did you cover that? Uh, the yes, trial? I, yeah, I covered quite a bit of it. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there every day, but uh, I, you know, both of them, both trials. I mean, that's what was sort of amazing to me as I as I did this year, a decade in review was at the beginning of the decade we were still waiting for him to go on trial the first time blago blago mm-hmm. and so you know we had we had ryan and ryan in prison and and blago soon to join him but you know it took two trials to get him there mm-hmm. um 
and here we are at the end of the decade, uh, you know, he's still in the news. I, I mean, I just think the guy will dominate the news as long as he's alive, you know, and they'll be talking about him years afterwards, whether it was fair or not, mm -hmm. whether that was right. Well, Bilago, there's some uh, parallels between Bilago and Eddie Berdoliak. Uh, both are charismatic figures. Uh, both move fast. Both talk fast. Uh, Bilago is from the northwest side. Eddie Berdoliak is from the southeast side. But uh, first time I became aware of Blagojevich, he was working for Eddie Berdoliak in the, when Berdoliak ran for mayor. In 1987, he was, when I say working, I mean, he was a volunteer in the campaign, or he, he was affiliated with the campaign. And um, and then, of course, Blagojevich married into the Mel uh, political family from the northwest side, and uh, Daddy Mel ushered him through, uh, got him slated for uh, state rep, and then Congress, et cetera, and so forth, so really helped his uh, political career. And... Uh, I, I, you asked what I stand on it. I feel as though um, uh, he, he should have been convicted, but the 14 years was outrageous. He should have been let out a long time ago. Uh, Blagojevich's problem, I'll throw this out to you, Mark, in the state of Illinois, he was Trump before Trump. He showed utter contempt for the whole proceeding that was against him. He showed disdain for the prosecutors, the judge, the charges against him, much the way Trump does now with the impeachment uh, that comes against him. Trump just yesterday gave a speech in Ohio where he mocked Nancy Pelosi, said she's not playing with a full deck, mocked Adam Schiff, called him what he's skinny neck or some pencil neck or something like that. Uh, he mocked the notion that he has to abide by congressional subpoenas. He mocks the notion that he has to... Uh, tell Congress of his intentions to want to assassinate the uh, the top general in Iran. He just acts with contempt. That's how Bukovic acted. The difference is that Bukovic didn't have the support of roughly 40% of the population of Illinois, which is the equivalent of what Donald Trump has, 45% or so in the United States. So there was nobody to support Bukovic. People just got mad at Bukovic. And um, so... I don't know. I think... Blagojevich was a much more conventional politician than Trump. Than Trump, I, you know, that's nobody like Trump. Okay, you know, I mean, even now Blagojevich wants to be like Trump. You know, he try. He's now he's trying to. He's sort of just trying to say what things that he thinks would attract Trump's attention. That, that oh yeah, you know, I, I don't know. He's uh, he was different though. He was he was he was not. Uh, he wasn't afraid of fighting with everybody. That's true. Uh, he had his own ideas of how to do things. But I don't know. I, I'm speaking I just, about. I he was a weak stick. Uh, I'm thinking about Bogoyevich after he was indicted. That's the Bogoyevich I'm thinking. Who, like, for instance, went on the David Letterman show uh, to uh, deride the prosecutors, went on Geraldo's show. Uh, even as he was being sent to the federal pen, he was giving interviews uh, as he went to the federal penitentiary. And in that way, he reminds me of Trump. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, true. that's where I'm getting at. And. Uh, yeah, you're right. He's Bogoyevich is counting on Donald Trump. Now, I think I may have said this to you before. I don't know. But one thing that was useful where Donald Trump, uh, his occasional crusading for Bogoyevich has been useful for the Democrats, ironically, is that in the 2018 election for governor, 
Bruce Rauner was getting set to uh, run a campaign that uh, castigated J.B. Pritzker as being a crony of Blagojevich based on tapings of conversations that Blagojevich and Pritzker had had that were the Tribune reported on and put out in the public's eye. And uh, that was going to be a, a key part of Rauner's assault on Pritzker. And lo and behold, Donald Trump, the leader of the Republican Party, starts saying, I feel that... Uh, J. Uh, Bogoyevich was the victim of the same kind of mistreatment that I've been victimized by. In other words, completely undercut the very argument that Pritzker was going to make. And I think that hurt, excuse me, that Ronner was going to make, I think that hurt Ronner. So ironically, Donald Trump benefited J.B. Pritzker in that moment. I don't remember the timing. Is that, are you, are you? I don't remember those those things going on at the same time, but yeah, no, okay. it was. Uh, okay. I was utterly obsessed with it at the time. Yeah, because I was like, uh, every time that Donald Trump would talk about just issue a uh, a suggestion, a hint that he might uh, commute the sentence of Bogoyevich, that infuriated politicians in Illinois, particularly the Rauner campaign. It was like, wait, this is the guy we're gonna now, Trump. You're saying. I don't know, a mixed message. Um, yeah, uh, Blago uh, is the second person, Fast Eddie Blago, and then, of course, Ed Burke. Ed Burke's uh, role in Chicago politics, the corruption of uh, the political culture of corruption in Illinois. Talk about Ed Burke. Well, it, it, it's interesting, uh, of course, that, you know, back in, in the period that we were talking about when Ed Verdoliak was flying high, his uh, teammate... Uh, it was Eddie Burke, you know. In fact, uh, they called him Fast Eddie and Slow Eddie. And you know, uh, as we've learned over the years, Slow Eddie may have been moved more slowly, but he was, uh, you know, he knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And and all this time, he's, he, you know, we all have thought that he was this corrupt figure with the, the lawyer with the uh, tax uh, appeal business, uh, you know, using his position to steer clients uh, his way. But I, I always thought he'd figured out some way to do it within the, within the lines. And uh, and here now, uh, you know, he's under indictment finally at, a, at an age when I think a lot of us had given up on thinking it would happen uh, uh, because uh, of Danny Solis uh, wearing the wire on him and, uh, and, and uh, him making some incriminating remarks uh, that... Uh, Got him, uh, got got his phones wired up. On top of that, so you know, diff, you know, um, Burke, you know, a different kind of guy than uh, than Edward Doliak, a guy who, who managed to stay in the game. Uh, I guess that, see, that's what you know. He he also was totally against Harold Washington, but. He managed to stay strong by just staying in his lane. Uh, again, a guy who, you know, controlled the naming of judges, which is a, is a big power, uh, a source of power not only 
with the court system or with the other politicians because you name their people judges. Uh, you know, he also, I'm sure, uh, would pay people uh, referral fees. That's That was an, at least an old Verdoliac trip. I don't know that we've actually proven that, that Burke did that. What, do you, what does that mean, uh, paying people referral fees? Well, if you're a lawyer, you, you know, you can... You can uh, you can pay referral fees if you send somebody a client, right? So that was certainly a way that I, I believe that Verdola. You get paid referral fees if you send somebody a client. Yeah, you okay, can. Got you it. can. Yeah. So if, uh, say, an alderman would uh, send you a case, somebody comes into your office and says, "I, you know, I've, you know, I've got this problem," uh, and. And, and you can see that that's something that you could make money off of. You send it, you'd send it to Verdoliak, and then he'd pay a referral fee, and therefore you liked Ed Verdoliak because he gave you money, which is you know seems to be what holds a lot of people in line in politics, right? Get making money. And uh, did you did Burke play that game as well? Well, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. I, I, um, I have questions. I, I always thought that the game Burke played uh, was this one where he had, he was at like the right place, just think about this, uh, at City Hall, where every contract uh, and every TIF deal and every budget came through his finance committee. So he was a key point person in just the flow of legislation. That, and he worked hard at it. Yeah. And he kept and he he kept careful tabs the way old man Daly did. Uh, I believe he he even used uh, index cards like Daly did, so he would know if he did you a little favor, and uh, you know he would he would call that favor back in. Um, I mean, you can see that in the in the uh, what little we've seen of the. Uh, from the Solis stuff where he was, uh, you, know, manip you know, manipulating the fact that you had to come before his committee mm -hmm. or, or, or the fact that you had to go before zoning and, you know, that Solis, Solis controlled it. So if you were doing something for Solis, then... Uh, you know, they could theoretically work in cahoots. So, um, you know, and he's got a lot of blue chip clients out there, right? Um, and 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 seem to <laughs> seem to have no limits on you know just he wanted it all, right? What was it? Is it a Burger King? Yeah, Burger it's King. Guys, a Burger King franchise, mm -hmm. you know. But he didn't just want. He just didn't want the guy's business for that burger. He wanted all of the business for the area, right? That mm -hmm. he, he he spotted that. That's this is a guy who could make me some real money. So yeah, and again, that's what I'm saying. He used his position uh, at at the heart of operations in the city of Chicago, overseeing, like we said, budgets and, and billions of dollars worth of expenditure, use that position as a way of squeezing people into, 
uh, hiring him as their property tax lawyer, such you're talking about with the Burger King operator. Well, uh, and and I, I I believe this. Ex- I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure in this, but I think this is an example that would that would ring close true to you. Is that he? You know, there are these TIF hearings. And he will go to all of the hearings. He's the only guy that'll go. Why is he there? Because he's gonna be—he's gonna get FaceTime with somebody who needs something from him, needs something from the city, and there's money to be made there. And he—and he just—he's kind of tireless that way. Yes, I, he uh, was a tireless. Uh, he's in his seventies now. He's still playing the game. He'd probably still be playing the game. Uh, and if uh, the word hadn't broke that Danny Solis was wearing a wire, and all of a sudden he went from the the Honorable Ed Burke, he was the Honorable Ed Burke, Mark Brown, uh, to somebody that nobody wants anything to do with. He's like the kiss of death politically in this town. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle got clobbered in the last mayoral election to Lori Lightfoot to a large degree because Lori Lightfoot successfully linked her to Ed Burke. She could say it's unfair that Tony really wasn't an ally of Ed Burke. Tough luck, Chicago politics. So so maybe that's a good way for us to segue into, uh, uh, we, why is Kim Fox not giving that money back? I don't get that. I don't why get that. I don't. I don't understand. Just he, give it back. Yeah. You don't need it. Give it back. She should have given it back a long time ago. Before we get to Kim Fox, which is uh, a favorite topic on this show, uh, let's just uh, sort of summarize this history. Do you think when I look about uh, think about Bogoyevich, Fast Eddie, Ed Burke? Uh, I remember when Bogoyevich was impeached, and uh, the jubilation in some circles. Uh, a lot of Democrats were just relieved to get rid of him. Uh, Republicans uh, despised him, so they were happy to get rid of him. Plus, it made the Democrats look bad. Uh, Pat Quinn, the successor, was uh, sworn in. I don't know if you remember this. I'm the, probably the only guy who does. Ann Burke swore him in. She's a Supreme Court justice and happens to be married uh, to Ed Burke. Uh, and so it was reviewed as reform, a triumph of reform in Illinois. I was very dubious about that, Mark. Maybe I've just been around Chicago too long and very skeptical guy by nature. I did not believe reform was ushered in by the impeachment of Rod Bogoyevich. I don't believe reform was ushered in by the conviction of Ed Verdoliak. Uh, and I don't even believe that reform um, has been ushered in by Ed Burke's uh, decline in power. He's not even the head of the finance chair anymore. He's fighting for his his uh, life and with this federal case against him. Uh, am I being too cynical? No. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I wish I could disagree with you. Okay. you know, I do. I, I I have had the sense over my career that things are getting better. But as I sat down and wrote this decade in review, I, I, it was it was hard to see that. I, what I see. You know what I, I see? Young, I see better people in this, in this getting elected, here and there. You know, better aldermen, I believe, as a rule. Not you know, uh, uh, better state legislators. Generally, I just see younger, you know, smart young people. I, I think 
you know, and, and the people that are in the bureaucracy, I think, are, uh, you know, better than the hacks that there used to be. But the, but the, it's just so, you know, it's just so easy for them all to get corrupted by the way it all works. And, uh, and, I, and, and you look at this, and whether, now everybody always looks at, okay, if we can just get rid of Madigan, <laughs> okay, and, you know, okay, that's a, I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that, uh, but I don't think it would necessarily make much difference. I don't, you know, what, what would the next, you know, and, and again, I'm the only guy that round that was predates uh, Madigan being the speaker, although he was the uh, majority leader at the time, so he, he really was calling the shots then too. For the Democrats, anyway, yeah. uh, I was calling the shots for the Democrats. When, uh, yeah, I, uh, I guess you share my skepticism. Well, of course, we're a couple of old goats who've been around uh, the same amount of time. You mentioned Madigan. Uh, let's just close with that. Uh, you and uh, have been one of the many journalists in town who've been following this ongoing corruption investigation, which seems to be the next big thing. I've been waiting for the ultimate story to break on it. It's taking its time. Uh, and that has to do with sub, uh, representatives, uh, various elected officials from the Southwest suburbs, from the Southwest side of Chicago, uh, Commonwealth Edison, uh, the head of the city club, Danny Mahopoulos was in here talking about that. We had a lot of fun with the city club gate uh, angle to all this. I'm not quite sure where they're going with this investigation, Mark, that's been going on now for I don't know how many months. Uh, what's your sense of like what ultimately is uh, the destination with this investigation? Is it Michael Madigan or what's your sense of that? Well, I think it's going in a lot of different directions, you know. Uh, they're, they're, you know, I think they they came across different pieces as they started drilling down. And, and then, you know, there one, you know, the safe speed red light cameras, there's a scandal there with, that scoops up a bunch of these guys, a lot of these suburban mayors. There's this Commonwealth Edison uh, ghost lobbying uh, business that uh, is, you know, it, it, it seems to revolve around this former state rep, Mike McLean, who, you know, is a close confidant of Madigan and and most people view that as you know the possible way to get to Madigan uh you know but what exactly they've got you know they it's been all played pretty close to the vest and we don't we don't really know uh you know Kerry Austin was raided office was raided last summer we still think that is an active investigation. I mean, they're taking out some big players, right? Uh, I mean, maybe a, a lot of people don't know how important Carrie Austin is, but she she uh, uh, had a lot of power there at at uh, City Hall for a long time, um, and, and she she has not been charged with anything. But uh, you know, we still expect she will be. I think. And there's you know this. Uh, there's this investigation of this little bank in Bridgeport, uh, Washington Mutual. I, I forget the name sometimes. Uh, and that has some potential, uh, we believe, uh, to, you know, go in some other directions that, you know. 
So, you know, if you add it all up and it all comes to fruition, it would blow a huge hole in the power structure of this city. Uh, but, you know, who steps in to fill it? And, 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 and would the same corrupting influences then go to work on them? I'd say yes, probably. But hope springs eternal. I think I've discovered the only uh, person in the city of Chicago even more cynical than I am, more jaded and skeptical. Oh, no, uh, no. <laughs> uh, Yeah, here we are. We, we get rid of all the rogues. And what do we replace with? More rogues. Because uh, the system is corrupt. I, I, I'm going to try to end this on a little more of a positive, you, though. Help, How about help, that? Help, help me do that. Okay, help I'm really struggling. Oh, you're asking me to do this. Uh, you said I took notes on this. Uh, the the kid, the kids we have now, that they're better aldermen, better state reps. I'm not quite sure what you meant by better. Um, one thing I find as I get older, I don't know if this happens with you. Like, uh, um, <laughs> uh, you'll have this uh, a new alderman uh, who got elected as a reformer or progressive coming up to me, telling me how much influence I've had on his or her life. I've been reading you forever, which is kind of a way of saying you're old or whatever, or maybe they're just being polite. I don't know if they do that to you. Uh, so I'm like, oh, so follow me, Mark. When I first got to town and started writing, most of the, most of the aldermen had wanted nothing. To, most of the aldermen today have want, have want nothing to do with me. So the notion that there's a young reformer in there who like claims to have read articles that I read calling for reform or change or uh, you know dividing up the pie more fairly leads me to have a little more hope and optimism and uh so i would like to think that they learn the lessons you know like you're you were one of the authors of clout cafe which was the story that blew the whistle on the corruption in millennial uh park restaurants and it was not but okay the Sun uh, Times was, sorry. I believe your name was on that uh, as a byline. Uh, okay. There was like 20, 20 names. Right. That's a personal story for me, uh, Mark. I have my reasons for remembering that, but we, we, we could discuss I just that. don't want to overclaim, that's all. No, you're one of like, there were so many reporters okay. on that story. I, I know. Right. Uh, and yours was one of them. I'm almost, I'll bet you lunch at that Waffle House down the street on Madison uh, that your name was under. Anyway, the point is, is that like, these are all contributions that people have made down through the years to exposing the culture of corruption in the city of Chicago. And there's a whole new generation of representatives who claim that they were influenced in a positive way by these articles. So in that general sense, I try to be optimistic, but you're so right. Yeah, my optimism comes from seeing people that, uh, uh, you know, that the historic way that, that the system, that, that Chicago politics works is people are in it to make money. You know, that's, that's, and, and I see people that aren't, you know, they want to do that job. They want to help people. They, even if, uh, or they, or they want to push a philosophy, you know, it wasn't that there was political philosophy was not what Chicago politics was about or it really. And, and now there's more of that. Yeah. And, uh, I may not agree with all of them, but I, I, I think they're, they're taking us in, the, in a better direction. Better a political philosophy than just where's mine. 
There you go. All right. We ended this conversation on a positive note. Two old jaded journalists are going to end on a positive note. Thank you very much, Mark Brown from the Chicago Sun-Times for stopping in. I'm Ben Jarofsky. It's another Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody.